becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of the is a dream that you to make real. Passing over the songs, glimmer, glimmer of the ship in the sea. I feel very much a sense of, um, to like this evening in particular, hmm. like sitting back down at the podcast table with you. Yeah. This sense of like the, the motion of time. Oh, interesting. Like, how so? Well, how we've been doing this every week for over a year and mm. you start to kind of have a conception of like, and we're back and we're back and starting to if you feel the repetitiveness of it mm-hmm. and the way that your life moves around it. Mm. And even the way that like my own, I had this sense of like, when we sat down, I had this sense of like relief, mm. kind of like this is a milestone moment in the week Oh yeah, yeah. and like, okay, we can, talk (laughs) you know Uh yeah i like that but there's something to milestones like that and there's also something to like really really big milestones Mm -hmm. in life too like birth and death yeah yeah it's like uh just to kind of throw it all out there at the beginning yeah my dad uh passed away on uh on friday and we got to be with him oh luca (laughs) he's like oh oh Empathetic. Empathetic. <laughs> yeah, so he passed away on Friday. Uh, we got to be there for his last like mm-hmm. breath and heartbeat, and it was really beautiful. And you and your your siblings and mm-hmm. mom. Not I was not there. You were not there. <laughs> yeah, my mom and my brother and my sister got to be there, and uh, it's really awesome because uh, uh, if that day they were restricting the hospitals to like only one visitor, but since we were there before twelve, mm-hmm. so it was happening at twelve. Uh, like they, they were instituting that policy. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Yeah, so we got to uh, we got to be be there with him. That's awesome. That, so. Yeah, just the the longer short of it, he had COVID and uh, he was vaccinated and uh, just went downhill really quickly and it was really fast and kind of unexpected in a sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyway, so that was a that was a really big. Uh, we've been with my mom and stuff like that and mm. just. Uh, being with her and helping her kind of get things in order. So it's been a, a full, full week since we were back last on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you left after we recorded the last episode. You left early the next morning, mm-hmm. and then you got back last night. Oh. Yeah, Tuesday, actually, yeah. <clears throat> Wait, yeah, no, when, yeah, yeah, last night. Dang, um, time is just, like, so crazy right now. It's, like, insane. Got an energetic pup that's really distracting this very <laughs> important conversation. He's like, I'm going to keep it light. <clears throat> um, but with that too, like I got a text from a, a friend of mine who actually also works for me, but uh, he's been with me like 14 years, 13 years at uh, Medici. And he said, uh, he said, yeah, death is mysterious, beautiful and tragic. And it's just something that just keeps sticking with me. Just the the mysterious part of death, yeah, the, yeah. the beautiful part of death, and just how tragic it is at the same time. You know, it's it's such a strange way to describe death as beautiful. Yeah, 
or, or almost like sacrilegious or something to, mm. to say that, but it intuitively makes some amount of sense to me. Well, I felt that's the thing. I, I felt those things were so present with me and mm. I feel like he named those and it, it helped me to identify that. Cause I mean, I like, seriously, I watched my dad take his last breath and there was a part of me that was just like, wow. Yeah. Like here's a man that I've known for 43 years of my life. Your whole life. Yeah. He saw my first breath. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I'm watching his last mm. and it was just, I mean, everybody reacts differently to, to death, I think. But for me, in that moment, I was sort of in awe, like, wow. Yeah. You know, there that goes is, that, I mean, even that is a beautiful statement. Mm-hmm. He saw me take my first breath, and I saw him take his last. And, mm-hmm. it, and it's tragic, but it is also, in a sense, the way that it should be. Yeah. And I was actually talking to my dad this weekend about all of this and mm-hmm. telling him it's it's, you know, Watching you lose your father mm-hmm. has been a very strange experience for me. Mm. Like I felt much more sad and in a different way than I ex- would have expected to. Oh, actually, yeah. So, well, because of the, I think because for me to relate to you mm-hmm. requires that I imagine the roles being reversed. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And then in, to try to understand it, I sort of have to imagine losing my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, you you and your dad, I didn't know your dad. I only met him once. Mm-hmm. And um, Which is crazy. It is crazy. What the yeah. hell? Um, you know, but y- y'all's relation, I know much less of about y'all's relationship, obviously, mm-hmm. than I do about my relationship with my own father. So it's not clear to me how much of relating to you by imagining my own father Mm -hmm. dying is actually applicable. But it did kind of lead me into this thought process about like the inevitability of that Mm. and how, you know, we talked a lot about your dad and the fact that he died of COVID and the fact that he died of COVID after being vaccinated and the Mm -hmm. fact that he died of COVID after being vaccinated so far into this. Yeah. Something of it seems almost like a cruel joke. Mm-hmm. You know, but then I thought, doesn't death always kind of seem that way? Yeah. Even though it is the only inevitability. Yeah. It comes and it always comes like there's no right time for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I thought, well, at least it's in the right order. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope <clears throat> that my dad dies before me. Yeah. Because the opposite would be cruel in such a much different way, not just for my own father, but for my kids and for everyone else. And it seems like there's something so natural about even me, you and I entering our adulthood mm-hmm. as parents, as men, mm-hmm. and experiencing losing that which was that modeled that for us. That symbol, yeah. And we can't really step into the fullness of what all of that is until, you know, maybe our parents are gone. That's a part of the experience. And so I thought, you know, at least it's in the right order. Because mm-hmm. there would be something stolen from you if it wasn't Yeah. somehow. Yeah. No, it does. It does. There is something very... Uh, uh, 
like almost ne not necessary. Oh, there's another word for it, but good that like like I I hope I die before my kids right, do. You right. know, it's like it's like it's you, you want that you as a parent you want to to go before your kids go. And obviously, you don't want to go too early. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, what a um, strange blessing it is to witness your father pass. Did it feel like that to you? Um, it's really hard to explain. I think I, I'll, I'll have to unpack this, unpack this over the next two or three months. You right. Know, it's it's like very a, fresh. Very fresh. And uh, spent a lot of time with my mom and kind of getting all of her finances together and in order and uh, just to kind of help her kind of orient. But But there's a whole thing on that, too, that maybe we can jump into of like, you know, they were married for 53 years. And it's like the whole idea of like two becoming one, it's like it's it seems like a symbolic reference, but it's also like a, a, a reality that happens when you spend time with somebody for that long. It's like you offload a part of yourself to mm -hmm. this other individual and they offload a certain part of themselves to you as right. an individual. And like they have a part of your brain, a part of your heart that that works for you. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you become one in a way that you can't understand mm -hmm. unless it is disjointed. Yeah. Unless it is ripped apart mm -hmm. because you don't know how much of you yeah. actually exists in the other person. Yeah. Well, it's I, the same thing with friendship too. I mean, like if mm -hmm. I lost you tomorrow or something like that, it's like, what the hell do I do on Wednesday? <laughs> Let's well, just roam around like <clears throat> mumbling and bumbling stuff. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to the shores. Welcome to the shores. <laughs> it's like, hey, there's that like a guy. Sims character just bumping up against a wall. <laughs> well, I think it's so much deeper than that too. I mean, we talked about it. I'm not sure if this was on podcast or off, but we talked about how part of you, part of who you are and part of who you understand yourself to be is dependent upon interacting with those who know you and love you mm. because each person holds a different part of you mm -hmm. that you, that you can kind of commune with by being with those people. Mm -hmm. And this was, this was, this is, I think the extreme example of this, but when it becomes really clear is like, like when I went through, uh, my divorce, this really rough time, and I kind of didn't know who I was. Mm. Part of fig part of like what helped was hanging out with you. Because oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't know who I was, but you knew who I was. Mm -hmm. So it's like I get to know who I am when I'm with you. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love it. Because like even like, you know, like high school student going to college, it's like you come back home and you, you kind of, there's a safety in like you're known. You know, it's like right. you're, you're, you you can kind of like almost reset back to like totally, <clears throat> like your parents might not understand who you've become, but they but they're sort of they serve as sort of like this baseline, right. you know, that because you always hear like you know with with especially like in that sort of like eighteen to twenty five area, it's like like my parents don't know me. It's but at some point like you start to understand your parents too because you start to go, oh, I was kind of a shithead and <laughs> when I was in high school or whatever. But it seems like going home always provides that sort of baseline you can reset yourself to, you know. And not that you lose everything that you've gained, but right. <clears throat> you can kind of get on solid ground again. Yeah, and just to, to kind of t 
take that back to your parents. Mm-hmm. And I think whatever that is in the context of an intimate romantic mm. relationship and a marriage, maybe even more specifically, <clears throat> that is all, um, like all of that is even more true somehow. Mm. And you don't know, you don't know the things that you don't know. Yeah. There's a term called transactional memory, which mm. I think is actually some technical term for mm-hmm. the fact that like, <coughs> you know, when you're in a relationship like that, you're in a marriage, there's all kinds of things that you don't know because you don't have to know them mm-hmm. because your partner knows them yeah. and your partner knowing them is just as functional as you knowing them, mm-hmm. you know, you know, maybe we understand this a little bit better in the current day and age because, well, Google kind of does that for us, you know, <laughs> like I don't have to retain knowledge much anymore. I yeah. just have to be proficient at accessing it. That's interesting. And there's, and that same thing happens in relationships. Mm-hmm. I think when I learned the term, I think the example was like, you know, the dad doesn't have to know what time the football game, kids football game starts. Mm-hmm. It's not useful for him to know that because yeah. his wife knows that. And mm-hmm. she's going to make sure, you know, she's going to make sure that he gets there on time and that things are organized properly or whatever. Yeah. And you know, it could be the opposite yeah. between husband and wife, whatever. But like, the stuff, you know, you used the term earlier, it's like the, the parts of you that you offload onto the other person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that. And I think in some, some way, maybe this is why we talk about becoming one. And the one somehow be, is more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. And so your dad is no longer with your mom. Mm-hmm. And in some way, your mom is probably no longer your mom. Yeah, totally. Yeah. She she was talking about that today. Like, like I don't know who I am, and I was like, I was like, mom, that's so natural. I mean, yeah. you and dad were together for fifty three years. Like, he's your other brain, your other heart. Right. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah. I mean, there's there's things you're gonna have to figure out and learn about yourself mm-hmm. now. It's mm-hmm. like a new discovery, right? And it's not as simple as saying things you're gonna have to learn that your husband took care of and now you have to take mm-hmm. care of them that's it's much deeper than that yeah i mean I th- the way you put it is right it's like you have to learn who you are mm-hmm. not just the things that have to be done or the yeah. things that have to be known mm-hmm. you know about finances and household maintenance or car or whatever like you actually have to figure it's like you have to rediscover who you are because part of that was contained in this person who's no longer able to give it to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a fascinating phenomenon that happens with, mm-hmm. with that. I mean, it's, it, cause it's not on purpose. It's sort of something that we do. And we do that with communities too, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, and, and we need to have communities around us that we can offload parts of ourselves. You know, it's like, kind of like you said with the divorce thing, it's like, like I kind of, I kind of carried a little backup copy of Matt in my pocket. It's not a complete <laughs> copy, but it's right. like, it's enough for you to reference, you know? <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. It's like, and your dad has a copy. that's a little bit more bigger, you know? Right. It's like your right. mom too, you know, it's like, or a lot more bigger. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, and they kind of give you like, you can kind of like touch that and be like, Oh, okay. That's, that's such an interesting way to put it. The backup copy. It reminded me of uh well, so Ted Lasso season two is out now. Oh, don't talk about it. And uh, I rewatched the whole first season. Okay, we did too, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> okay. So so um, 
what's the coach's name? Not the coach, the owner of the team, the woman. Oh, shoot. Rebecca. Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Um, her old friend from like years and years yes. ago comes and meets her. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden you see the character of Rebecca mm-hmm. start to fill out. Yeah. Because this old friend had some old backup copy that Rebecca hadn't accessed of herself in forever. Yeah. But it's able to be pulled out. Mm-hmm. And, and her character expands. And this isn't, it's this character development, yes, but it's also like we all know that feeling of that. Mm-hmm. Like you see someone you haven't seen in a long time, and you also see a part of yourself that you haven't seen in yeah. a long time, you know? Well, even like it, it, what was amazing about it is that her friend, I forgot her name, but, but it also happened. Sassy? Sassy, yeah. It happened before Keely also. So it's almost as if Sassy like handed that handed a copy of that copy to, to mm-hmm. Keely. Yeah, passed some torch or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, because you saw that she kind of represents that to Rebecca into the future from that episode. You know, it's like there was a connection made, a transfer of information. You know, almost like a, a transfer of guardianship. Yeah. Uh huh. Wow, that's so that's amazing. Yeah, it's like how things. It's almost like you start thinking about. Uh, Dawkins and memes and genes, you know, it's like how we, 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 we push these memes <clears throat> into the future. You know, it's like, um, I've said this on a podcast quite a few times, but you know, it's like something that my dad, you know, put into me was like, leave it all in the court. Mm-hmm. And that's a simple sentence, but what that means is like so huge, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, you go out in the court in basketball in this, in this instance is like, and you just, you give it everything and you leave it all out there. Whether you win or lose, it doesn't matter. But as long as you leave it all on the court, that's your, that's the definition of success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And it's such a visceral thing. And it's like, I know when I haven't done that and I know when I did do it and lose or no, I did do it and win, you know, it's like in basketball specifically, but, but that's a, it's a visceral experience that I can't, that's just, it's a meme that has been transferred into me from my dad. Yeah. Hopefully I can transfer it to my kids too. <laughs> well, you will. I, I guess I had a couple <clears throat> like immediate responses to that. And one is um, like there's some pictures that have been taken of my son, myself, and my dad. Oh, yeah. Like when my son was really little. Uh-huh. And we're making like sitting exactly the same way arms folded, hands held the same way, legs the same way. It's freaky. You know, like (laughs) DNA is a weird thing. Uh But there's also something I've been thinking a lot about. I I think it was over this past weekend. I watched an old debate between Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson on, um, primarily on religion. Oh yeah. Was this the, it's the one or the Vancouver? uh, It was the one that, um, I think Douglas Murray Mm. moderated. Those are so good. Yeah, they really are good. Um, but I think it's Peterson is making this point about how when you're a child, you tend to, um, pretend to be your parents. Mm -hmm. So you might pretend to be your father, but when you're play pretending to be your father, you're not really imitating your father. You're doing something which is better described as sort of extracting the spirit of your father and imitating that, Mm. which is more like something like I've seen my father behave in all of these different contexts and situations and you, you extract out the spirit of that, whatever that is. And that's kind of what you're imitating. Mm-hmm. It's like you're imitating him imitating a good father. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
your father did the same thing to his father and his father to his father. And in that mm-hmm. sense, whatever this spirit of fatherhood, which you are pretending to be, is something that has been passed down to you hmm. through many generations. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he said that in the context of making a completely different point, which I won't take it there, and I probably couldn't do it very well anyway. But <clears throat> it's kind of like back to this idea of like at least it happened in the right order. Hmm. Because for that spirit to be passed down to you... Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I'll say for that, for, for that spirit to be passed down to your children... Mm-hmm requires that you continue fully interacting with the spirit of what it is to be a good father. Yeah. And the fact, and your father passing away is like, it's it's a part of that. Yeah. That, that I I don't know if I want to say needs to, but naturally does Mm -hmm. happen. And now it's, and now it's like, it is this passing of the guardianship. Yeah. Which has now passed to you. Mm Mm-hmm. Whatever it was that he had that he represented, he's done representing that, at least in an active way. Yeah. And now that is yours to guard mm-hmm. and to work out and to continue to pass down. Yeah. And whatever it is that you're passing down isn't by your design or your generation solely. It's like you are... You are it's like a, you're a node in this. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know? Which I find I find something like super humbling about that, mm-hmm. and wonderful and beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, <clears throat> I I I see why you're wanting to stay away from the needs part because that sounds really weird. Yeah, but it's like it's almost a an evolutionary idea and concept mm-hmm. of sort of like you know it is intended that that's the way of life. You know that you have kids and then they have kids and then then you pass on and then your kids see their grandkids and then you pass on you know it's like right <clears throat> like that's just seemed like that's 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 it's more of like it's it's the way of life <clears throat> and then there are things that come in that disrupt that you know that way of life mm-hmm. you know, whether it be disease or you know prey or whatever it might be that, right that interrupts that cycle but um but it does seem inherent. I mean, it's like it's almost like inherent in every individual. Like, like yeah, I should pass on before my kids do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if well, not, I think, I think there's something wrong with well, you. Yeah, I mean, if you, you if you love your children, then you will think that mm-hmm. because you'll want them to live as long a life as possible, and you know yeah. that you can't live to see that long life. Totally. Yeah. Just, <clears throat> uh, so I was talking to my my dad about all of this, <clears throat> about you and your dad and mm-hmm. him passing and. I told him this sort of spirit of the father thing, which is interesting because that starts to become really religious language. Um, and I was also thinking about my grandfather and how I, I've often thought that my grandfather passed away when I was 13. Mm-hmm. So about your son's age. Totally. Yeah. And, um, you know, whoever I am, It's like we kind of know who we are and we know and we also I think if we're healthy maybe mm-hmm. we also know that we don't know who we are. Yeah. Like there there is something to be discovered there or worked out. I love that. You know. <laughs> uh-huh. Um 
And so who am I? I don't know. Well, you know something of who I am that I don't. My mm-hmm. parents know something of who I am or who I could be that I don't. And mm-hmm. they, I know, like I've always sensed that there's something of who I am that is like my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And I've often thought in my adulthood, like if I could know him now, mm-hmm. like there's something I could know about myself. Oh, true. Yeah. And the fact that he's gone, it's like I have lost the keys mm. to something of who I am. But that's natural. And, mm. and that's true in every situation. And, and my dad said, well, you know, back to this sort of like spirit of the father thing. Like if you could go back like, let's say, 10 generations, mm-hmm. 10, 10 fathers up and interact with that person, do you think you would recognize something mm. of, of what you might recognize in your grandfather? Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting question. Yeah. And I, and I think the answer is yes. It does seem that way. It it seemed like it would somewhat, somewhat dilute after about three or four generations, you know, like it, like the concentration of it, it like would, but yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Obviously I don't know. Right. (laughs) And it can't be tested. Yeah. Um, but I think that's when I think about my dad passing, it's like, like I got to experience so many years with him, you know, obviously I, I wish he could have lived longer, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, um, but I think I'm more sad for my kids, you know, it's like, yeah, it's just because like for that very thing that you were just saying, like, mm-hmm. like they love their papa, you know, yeah. it's like, and you know, he loved them and they were the, the world, you know, and yeah. they knew that too. Right. It's like, so they're losing that support you know, where I got to experience that over 43 years, you know? And so it's like, I know that mm-hmm. and I, I understand that. You have more of a sense <clears throat> of that time being full. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Well, I was talking, uh, while you were gone, I was talking to Allison about that mm-hmm. same exact thing. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> that is a loss, but I don't think the loss is complete. Yeah. So. Well, goes back to this this strange question you know who are we who was your dad Mm -hmm. what was his relationship with your children and and in a way i think who we are what's well it is spirit as much as it is sort of physical nearness Mm-hmm. And whatever that spirit is, isn't completely ours. Yeah. Like you carry some of that now. Mm-hmm. And well, and nothing's changed. It's like you don't, you don't carry it now that your father is gone. You have always carried it. Yeah. But I guess my point is that the goodness that came from your father to your children, mm-hmm. that faucet is not turned off. Yeah. Because something of it was something which was passed down and is still being passed down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of makes me think of too, like uh, Simba and his dad, you know, it's mm. like, mm-hmm. it's like he, om- like there is certain amounts of, you can't actualize yourself until there is that sort of passing the torch, you know, it's like, mm. like Simba could not have come into his destiny if his father hadn't 
you know, obviously it was more tragic. It was like a, <laughs> a fire and a scar set, you know, set and all that kinds of stuff. You know, it's like, uh, there was a tragic element in that that was kind of a very before it's time and didn't get Simba. You didn't get to kind of have that tutelage, due but to there was something about due to malevolence. Mm-hmm, due yeah. to malevolence. Yeah. But there was something about him stepping into that. It wasn't his, it wasn't stepping into his father's role, but stepping into his destiny, you know, it's like, well, which is completely commingled with his father's role. Mm-hmm. Like that scene when Rafiki kind of starts to coax him back and mm-hmm. leads him down into the cobwebs and the, the forest. And then they emerge on this, uh, little lake. Mm-hmm. He asks him to look in the water and he says, what do you see? Yeah. <clears throat> And he says, no, you know, he says, I see myself or whatever. And he says, no, look again. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and taps the water and makes these ripples and he sees his father. Yeah. Or maybe it's not his father. Maybe it's him as his father. Yeah, totally. And that scene always just makes me mm-hmm. weep. Mm-hmm. It's just funny, like over the last few years, like I look in the mirror and I'm like, wow, I see my dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like started to see more of like the, the cheeks and the eyes who are both have a lot of very right. strong check features. You know, yeah. it's like, uh, yeah, it's like, it, it is, there's so much great symbolism in that. Right. Uh, uh, Lion King and stuff like that. Oh yeah. It's a beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. Very powerful. Yeah. But I think we do well, just to keep it on, on Simba for the moment, <laughs> like, he didn't necessarily become his father or replace his father, but he stepped into whatever it was his father occupied. Mm. And maybe this is kind of back to the idea of the spirit. It's like there is something outside of that we exist in. Mm -hmm. And when you see Simba at the end on pride rock, you're like, he's that's Mufasa. Mm-hmm. Or that's Simba. It's like kind of becomes one and the same. Yeah. Because Simba couldn't have become Simba without having come from Mufasa mm-hmm. and having stepped into what was vacated when Mufasa vacated it. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm getting a little tied up here on it, but it's like <laughs> you, you do. Well, maybe, maybe. To the extent that Mufasa was good because he was oriented towards some ideal of goodness, mm-hmm. when Simba orients himself toward the same ideal, he is, in a very deep way, becoming his father. Mm-hmm. You know, well, he also faced all that shame and and because he's him thinking that it was because of him that his father died. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it's interesting too, like having to also shed or cast off shame or fear, you know? And, and one thing that we can do is, is, is like what, uh, oh, what's, uh, not Mufasa, what's the son's name again? Simba. Simba. Yeah. It's like, you know, he runs away from it, runs away from his destiny, runs away from who he is. You yeah, know, it's like, right. and there's a lot of shame and fear boiled up in that. You know, I think that's, um, I think that's that. That was something else he had to kind of confront and 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 overcome. Yeah, and and, and then you see the whole process of him returning. Like yeah. there's a step, and you know, and, um, 
what's the female's line name? Nala. Nala. Like she comes and kind of rescues him or kind of like coaxes him back into <laughs> the, uh, into that destiny. Well, and she does that by engaging his shame. Yeah. And, and confirming it mm-hmm. and saying, yeah, you, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? Uh-huh. He, he, she makes him self-conscious. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which is why this film is so good. It's so deeply archetypal. Yeah. Like all of these, you can find parallel stories all over the place in mm-hmm. myth and religion and just storytelling in general. And they're all very condensed into this one, this one film. Especially the archety- archetype of like running away from your destiny or mm-hmm. your future or like whatever language you want to put around that. You know, it's like, you know, usually it's some sort of shenanigans and trying to get lost, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be in the bottle or <laughs> oh, it's the story of the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's endless amounts of that, <clears throat> but it's, it's so, it's so crazy. Like, uh, again, just thinking about the kind of going back to our many, many conversations we've had about narrative. It's like, we do live embedded in a narrative you know and mm-hmm. and we don't even know it we don't even understand it and somewhat we're kind of, we've kind of tried destroying that aspect of it i don't think i want to get into that stuff but it's like you know something very valuable that you that you need that sort of the memes that are like embedded in you from your childhood you know into adulthood and right and and beyond you know it's like Yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's, yeah, I think that's, can I come back to the idea of like, you know, death is mysterious, beautiful, and tragic, you know, mm-hmm. the tragic aspect, one of the tragic aspects is like, there's no more new input, you know, mm-hmm. uh, well, there is kind of like extrapolated, but like direct new input, you know, right. that you get from, right. uh, from in this case, my dad, you know, it's like. But again, he's I, not speaking mm-hmm. into your life or your kids' lives anymore. But he almost is too. I mean, like it's like it's like I can I you know it's like even in saying that it's like I can hear how he would say something or what right. he would say. Right. You know, it's like uh, again, even whenever you know uh, it got to the point where his organs were failing and and he was on life support and uh, it was pretty it was done. You know, and we had to choose to you know would your dad want to live in this way. And we're all like, hell no. <laughs> so we're like, I mean, it was like, it was hilarious. Like, I think the doctors were a little bit taken aback that all four of us were on the same page of like, yeah. no, we know my dad, we know Mickey. Yeah. He's, he's no, he would not have that. Not having know? it. Uh, uh-uh. cause he was such a, he was such a full, full on character. You know? it's like, well, and that's so interesting because in that, in that case, like who is it that's answering the doctor? Mm. You know, is it you totally. or is it literally your dad? Yeah. You know, that part of your dad that you hold Mm -hmm. and that part of your dad that you're, that that you hold and your dad somehow doesn't, you know, the backup copy that maybe, you know, you forget and and then you go and you get to know yourself again with this other person. So Mm -hmm. it's like, who is answering that question? Yeah. I think rationally we say, well, clearly Michael, the son is answering the question, (laughs) but, uh, it's at least interesting to think about it in this other way. Yeah. And it seems, I mean, there's something to it. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's like I mean, it's it's a part of him that was that's in all of that was in all of us that mm-hmm. it's like we knew that right uh, about him that you know it's it was also cool like just to see my mom like the relief that that had that mm. she knew what my dad would want mm-hmm. but you know that you know it's almost scary for her to say that you know and but to hear us all kind of in the same voice, his voice, mm-hmm. it was, there was a relief in for her in that and being able to let go, you know, and obviously it's a process to let go and to, to move on. But in that one instance, it was like a, yeah, there was a certain relief and like, ah, sort of like, you know him, like I know him, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, obviously we would never know him as, as deeply as she knew him, but, yeah. uh, uh, yeah, I love that. This kind of speaks speaks beyond the we kind of do kind of speak beyond the grave and mm-hmm. others and stuff right I mean it's a very Christ-like story too it's like you know like it, the Christ's disciples speaking as him you know hmm. beyond the grave because they knew him so well that they were able to speak as him you know uh, there's a lot of parallels in that I was thinking about as far as like you know like death and resurrection and like the empowerment too, like, like there's a lot of things that I don't think I would ever receive from my dad until he had passed away. And I, I, I tend to believe that that's something that I kind of look forward to discovering in the months to come and years to come, you know, that, hmm. cause it's sort of like when someone's with you, there's a certain amount that you take for granted. And then, then that's not a bad thing. You know, it's like, uh, but there's something that you cannot fully receive until until somebody has passed away, and that you that you now you can kind of receive it in a more fuller way, like in a in a, a new and different way, a tangible way. Like I, I, I again, this is not something I have completely figured <laughs> out. Figured out, but it's yeah. like I can already kind of like um, I feel like I'm already experiencing that in some form even when when i watched him take his last breath and his last heartbeat you know it's like even in that there was like a i felt that sense you know like oh wow you've given me a lot of things i don't even know Hmm. you know so do you think it is a it will be a process of discovering what he's given you that you don't know yeah totally that he's given to you Mm -hmm. and i also think it will come through me giving that to my kids but Mm, i I don't know that that's and not recognizing that you got got it from your dad until you see it when you give it away. Totally, yeah. Hmm, there's <clears> something <throat> very profound in that. I mean, again, I, I really had this, like... It, I mean, again, going back to the beautiful part of the mysterious, beautiful, and tragic. Like, I felt that at that moment. And it was, it's hard to explain, and that's why I'm really interested to see, like, kind of what unpacks from that is just sort of, like... I mean, my dad's got a list of accomplishments that are just ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, he's done so many things. Like we were going, we're writing his obituary and and my mom was wanting to put every single one of them in. (laughs) And then it was funny because then even my mom was just sort of like, it was, it was, it it was really, I I really love this. It's, It's just sort of like, well, I mean, he accomplished all these things, but, but really he was about family. Hmm. Like he loved you guys. He loved the grandkids. You know, it's like, it's like, I mean, 
uh, we never do Thanksgiving. We, we always keep Thanksgiving as our own thing. Yeah. But it never failed. My dad was always like, well, hey, you know, you guys could come for Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, dad, we do Thanksgiving here in Austin with, you know, yeah. It's like, okay, you know, just try but you could come, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's That's like, awesome. it, it was his joy. Like he would always like, uh, my dad would always find, uh, they go eat nice places and then he would find whatever dish that was they liked and then he'd replicate it and do the dish like 10, 20, 30 times until he's perfected it. Like, so his duck and his lamb and his steaks are better than almost any restaurant you could ever go to. Wow. Uh, but he was so much fun. Like the kids would eat lamb. <laughs> And they called it slobbery meat. I think, <laughs> think Elliot named it that, and so I got I got nicknamed that. <clears throat> but that's like something that you know I don't think they could ever eat lamb or duck and not think of Papa. Right. You know, it's like like he just he just loved that sort of like, and I think that's where I got the people being around a table and eating and drinking wine and stuff like that. Like that that being out. an important value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's something he really enjoyed. Like he loved having everybody around the table, you know, especially in our older years, you know. Mm. <clears throat> I mean, it's something you and I enjoy together so much. Like yeah, totally. Allison and you and Charlie and then whoever else comes up to the table. <laughs> but I mean, that was also a value that my parents held. Mm. And so maybe this is something about, you know, the things that he gave you that you don't even know yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much of what we hmm, so much of what we value was taught to us but it wasn't taught to us as a value no you know it was it was taught as acted out it was acted out Mm -hmm. yeah and you don't know the values so you you don't you can't articulate the ethic Mm -hmm. until you (coughs) have acted it out enough that you can discover it and abstract it yeah and so whatever it is that your dad gave to you, maybe this is your point about how you can't, there's some, some of that you can't, you don't know that you have it until the acting out of it is done mm-hmm. and you're far enough away from it that you can, well, not done, but you can start to extract that value, extract the ethic of it. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Like, I feel like a lot of those things I did get, I did get to enjoy the benefit of the understanding of it in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like there's like a treasure trove of things yeah, that are still. to come. I mean, even as I approach his age, you know, right? It's like I just it just seems like there's a treasure trove of things. Yeah, like if I could, if I could have grandkids, and I just could, I, I could see my dad and me coming out in that mm. way. You know, it's like <clears throat> to just make experiences for them, you know, or just to talk to them. Like, what are you thinking? Why do you think that? How's that? (laughs) And it will probably be something like communing with your father. Yeah. No, totally. Because as you step through it and walk through it, you'll be discovering Mm. who it, well, who he was. Yeah. In a way that will somehow be like more knowingly than of something than you could know now. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I always remember, like, my mom would always say, oh, my Grandpa Richie would love this moment. Mm. You know, like, mm-hmm. she could just also see through his eyes in a moment that she's experiencing us and our and the grandkids and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, there's something about that. Now they have lended us their eyes, in a sense, you know, mm. their, their perspective. And, uh, like, it's so much easier, you know, 
<clears throat> like even in you and I through the years, it's like, like you've lent me your eyes, you know, it's like, and so like I've been able to, I see things, I can see things through your eyes also, you know, it's like, yeah. um, but then when you talk about your parents, it's like, there's so much in that. That's like phenomenal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so much of it happens in before you're sort of self-aware. Well, mm-hmm. maybe some of it happens even before you're <clears throat> sort of conscious in some level. Yeah. And then before you're self-aware and then as you, and before you're grown, before you matured, <clears throat> I mean, the stuff that's planted in you from your father, maybe to your point, it's like, you have no idea. Yeah. You'll discover it as you continue to grow. Or even as a kid, I, I didn't know that that leave it on the court thing would be as impactful as it has for my life, you know? Yeah. Or even like, you know, my dad was a dentist and an entrepreneur, you know, it's like, you know, I worked at the office from the time I was eight till I graduated high school, you know, everything from, I'm using air quotes, filing, they probably had to go back and (laughs) refile them, but like that was was our job, you know, it's like, and then I was a dental assistant by the time I left, you know, and it's like my dad taught me to like talk, talk with like a 92 year old or a six year old, like when they're in the, as a dental assistant, you've got to sit there and talk with them and like carry on a conversation. Right. And it's like, it's like, that was something that early on in my life, I saw the value that he'd given me, but I didn't know that was something he was giving me at the time. Right. right. But probably in my twenties, I was like, wow, I got that. So uh, Mm. such a early age that I don't, I'd never had a problem with like, you know, talking to my boss who's 56 and I'm a 22 year old, you know? Yeah. It's like, like yeah you show there's a certain amount of respect that you show you know but at the same time you you're not intimidated you know but there's respect and honor that you give to an older person you know and then a younger person it's like you kind of come down to their level and say like hey i might be older than you but hey i'm going to come down to your level and just be silly with you or you know uh not be intimidating or whatever you know that example actually illustrates really well what you mean by things that he's given you that you don't even know. Mm-hmm. Why that specifically? I don't know. Be, well, because it kind of gets into this idea of like, what is it? What does it mean to know something anyway? Oh, yeah. It's like your dad taught you mm-hmm. this skill, yeah. but he taught it to you without you knowing he was teaching it to you. We put me into positions of opportunity. Yes. You know, but you didn't know the arti- I would imagine the opportunity wasn't like well defined. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And so you learn all of this stuff and then now you know it, mm-hmm. but you don't really consciously know it. Yeah. Now you're continuing to act it out and it isn't until, until sometime later you're like, whoa, I have that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that I had that. I kind of have to discover what I have. Yeah. And then I can be like, and my dad gave me that. Mm-hmm. But it's all retrospective. Yeah. It somehow would, wouldn't make any sense the other way around. Oh. And the, one of the first times I remember seeing my dad ferocious. Hmm. <laughs> you know, not like, like uh, you know, uh, angry parent uh, spanking you and stuff like that, which, you know, uh, that happened to, but... Uh, which very rarely, but, like, I remember getting the belt and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, no! <laughs> But like, I, f- I forget the circumstances that some guy was being, 
outrageous at one of the games, and my dad went to go fight him. Like seriously? Like literally? Literally. Wow. And I just remember that moment going. This is a game you're playing? Yeah, it's a basketball game. And this, this other dad was being a complete ass. And my dad just was like, that's it. <laughs> and I was just like, I, I just like, but it was funny because like, and then I saw him restrain himself, you know, but, <clears throat> but it was going, it was like going to happen. But was, there was, there was some sort of restraint. Again, this is like a memory in my head that right. <clears throat> I just remember like, I remember the main thing I remember was this ferociousness that was going to come out. And it was interesting too, is like, as, as I got older too, and I experienced that sort of like, that sort of like, I'm going to, I'm going to go out swinging and I'm going to die. You know, it's like, <laughs> you're, t- you're taking me away in a stretcher, you know, kind of thing. You know, yeah. it's like, uh, like there's two or three instances that pop up in my mind. I just, and I, 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 I saw the ferocious and I saw it in myself too. And, and oh, we've talked about this quite a few times. So I just want to put this out there, but just also like whenever I was playing basketball, like I remember when my dad, like, stopped holding back you know when we play play basketball like when court. he would play with you you play with me yeah. yeah and it was just like and he felt the power like he'd mm. bump you like come on michael get the ball boom boom you're like <laughs> you're really trying to and then you get this point where like you're really trying to like you're you're really going at it yeah and he's still like kind of toying with you you know yeah but it was this point like it's like he allows i could use all of my strength and ferociousness you know in a sense mm-hmm. and but he's he's reserved and constrained and can kind of like give just enough to where that is you see that line like oh no you know it's like and then there's at some point where as you get older it's like you start to see the frailty you know right where it's a different type of um like there's the there's a dad of your youth that is that sort of like like he could kick your fucking ass, <laughs> you <laughs> right, know? Right, right. And then there's this point where it's like, you know, it's like, Oh, my dad's old, you know? Hmm. And it's, it's, it's a different, and I don't, it's like, I don't know when that happened, but I just remembered at one point I was like, Oh, my dad's old. You know, it's like, that's probably when he started hobbling along his head, a hip thing. Yeah. Well, it's not <laughs> just that he gets old. You also mm-hmm. grow into strength at the same time. Totally. Like the strength of youth and like, yeah, and, and that's a, it's kind of a process that I would imagine happens, it's not just like into your 20s, it's also your 30s and 40s, because it's not just the raw power, but there's also something like when you experience the power, well, and, and maybe you experience restraint, or maybe you don't, but <clears throat> I think power is most fully felt when it is paired with some amount of restraint or at least knowing Mm -hmm. like I know my power Mm -hmm. and I'll show it to you Yeah. as opposed to someone who's just sort of flies off in a display of power. That always seems to be, um, less. Yeah, totally. Well, it's also the, 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 the proper use and, and the, and the, the timing for that, you know, it's like, you know, like if you're protecting your family, like there's something that's really, that's like, that's a proper use of force, you know, it's like, but if you're just being an asshole, you know, it's like, and you're just flaunting, you know, your strength or something like that. Like there's something like lesser in that, you know, it's like, yeah. And I saw a lot of restraint in my dad and it's like, uh, 
which was which was hilarious. I mean, like, like he's probably he's a he's a force to be reckoned with. Like, uh, like he helped so many people, and he also got crossed a lot too, which mm-hmm. was. I mean, it's just so sad. Like, you know, and <laughs> and then like when people would like really, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. When people would cross the line and it was no longer like, you know, just messing with him, but you're messing with an organization or something like that. Like he would, mm. he would let you know, like, mm. like, like you are out of line. Like he would just, he, I, I can see this, the look and the stare in his face. Uh, but he didn't have like a very strong, it was like, he had a very big gray boundary, you know? But once you started crossing the line, it was sort of like, that does not happen. Got defined real got quick. defined real quick yeah and you know obviously we don't always get it right but like um i, I saw admire that quite a few times yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i admire that yeah it's just like <clears throat> power is so much more impressive when it's coupled with wisdom mm and it's much more terrifying. Yeah. Because <clears throat> somehow you have the sense that this power isn't just um, something raw being indiscriminately thrown around. Mm-hmm. I see the power and I also know that it's being wielded by someone who can discriminate with it. And if that falls on me, the full force of it falls with intention mm-hmm. and with by someone who knows how to wield it. And that's much more deadly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I remember early growing up, it's like one thing that always stood out to me um, was like, my dad never let us talk shit about my mom, you know? Hmm. It's like, oh, mom did that. No, he's like, you don't talk about your mom like that, you know, or something like that. You know, it's just yeah. teenagers can right. be. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, it's like, and that that's always stuck with me because there was a, there was also a period where I felt like that wasn't as enforced, you know, it's like, and that's always really, that always really stood out to me that why he did that at that earlier stage of like, you know, not, not that we talk shit about my mom, but I'm just saying, <laughs> it's not so horrible right now. Like I'm like, mom, <laughs> uh, anyways. Uh, but I mean, you know what I mean? Like just the, the regular teenage crap. Totally. You know? it's like, yeah. Uh, None of us are above it. No, but I think that's the thing is like, I, I remember that and I, that's something that in my, with my kids too, it's like, if you have an issue, let's talk about it, but we're not going to just say stupid shit about somebody else. You right. know, it's like, and I'm not going to badmouth your mom in front of you. You know, it's yeah. like, that's just not, there's something that was really like ingrained to in me and why that was, that's so valuable. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. And I guess it kind of goes down to like the same idea of gossip and stuff like that. You know, it's like, like there's a fine line between talking about real issues and problems and then just gossip. And mm. I've, I've always, I have a very low tolerance for gossip in general. So Is that, did that come from your dad? <laughs> Probably so. I don't, I don't, I don't remember him really being very gossipy at all, but yeah. Well, it just makes you think about, back to the idea of the values that our parents teach us are they're not taught as explicit values. Mm-hmm. They're more taught as like discipline. 
Yeah. Or what seem to us to be somewhat arbitrary rules and regulations that stymie the, the good time, you know? Like to enjoy the meal around the table. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, you, you have to first have had a lot of meals around the table. Yeah. And when you first starting having meals around the table, what does a meal around the table mean? Well, it means you're going to sit down, you're going to observe these manners, mm-hmm. you're going to, you know, wait to eat till everyone else starts eating, you're going to stay till the end, we're going to, stay, stay you know, till the end. <laughs> you're going to eat everything, you know, there's all these rules and you don't like any of them. Mm-hmm. It's all sucks. <laughs> you know? Totally. Uh, you know, it, it, it isn't as if your parents sit, sit you down at three and say, hey, here's a value, a good meal around the table. Mm-hmm. It's not taught that way. It's the same, the same maybe with um, sort of ideas of gossip and those things. I yeah. remember having a hard time understanding that one. That was something that I think maybe I learned from my parents too. Like the, different, the difference between gossip and not gossip. Mm-hmm. And it's not obviously clear. And you, when, you, yeah, when totally. you're first sort of reprimanded for gossiping, you're like, oh, I'm just talking. I'm just yeah. saying what I think or I'm talking about my friend or whatever. It's like, yeah. no, you're gossiping. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Yeah. You know, you have to find that out. Mm-hmm. And then you have to find out, oh, and I value that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe let's hit the tragic part of it, you know? Okay. <clears throat> like, death is, is tragic, you know? I mean, there's something very... Um, I mean, we run from it. I mean, we don't we don't acknowledge it, you know, even in our, I think in our Western culture, we specifically don't even recognize death really. Hardly birth, but definitely not death. You know, it's like, whether it be, you know, yeah, it's just like culturally we don't really, We don't really acknowledge it. It's not something like, I mean, even right now, it's like with COVID and stuff like that, we're not having a funeral, you know? It's like, and we wouldn't have a funeral anyways. We'd probably just have a, we were talking about, we, we would have a party, you know, and more of like a celebration of life than a funeral, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's semantic, but in my mind, there's a difference, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the tragic part is, it's like, again, I think come back, I think for more of my kids and also for me too, it's like, it'd be great to have another 20 years, you know, he was yeah. 94 or something yeah, like that. right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about uh, Allison's uncles last time. He did. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like there's something like I, so. So this guy named Harold, uh, he came over to the house. Like he worked with my grandfather for 16 years. He's 92 years old. He walks three miles a day. He's got his lady friends. Uh, I mean. At 92, you couldn't see a more vivacious person, you Hmm. know? It's like, and I was sitting there and we're talking and he was telling stories and stuff. And, and he's like, how old are you now? And I was like, it was weird because like, while I was talking to him, I felt like a little kid Hmm. and I was like, I'm 43. I was like, I'm like, I'm 43. I'm I'm still a kid to you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a child. But like, I was like, I also had this like, oh wow. But I'm 43 years old. Yeah. Like there was something like the frame of reference, you know, of this 92 year old, my dad dying, I'm 43. I felt like a two year old with this guy, you know, and I've got kids, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, there was something about sort of like the, 
the span of time, you know, it's like, and also his acceptance of death too. Like, you know, it's, it seems like you do kind of, I think, I don't know when this happens or if it's like a normal thing, but it's sort of like, I could go tomorrow. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm at an age that it's sort of like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, but it's like, you know, obviously the, the tragic part of death is sometimes, I guess, whenever someone dies when they're 12 or 16 or right. 20, it's like there's so much ahead of them, you know? Uh, 74, it's like, you know, there's still maybe that aspect of tragic, but it's hard to say. It's like, when when does that... Would that switch? Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't feel like my dad... my He had years, possible years ahead of him, you know? But, and I just, I, maybe it's the tragic part is too, is that my mom, you know, for my mom being here without him. Right. For potentially another 20 years. Yeah. 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 Or they just go at the same time or something like yeah, that. You know, right. It's like, uh, <clears throat> Do you think that our sense of tragedy is somehow coupled with some idea that things happen in a way that they shouldn't have? Yeah, maybe there's a couple aspects to it. You know, one is like, well, it's interesting. It's also just your perspective, you know, from a religious perspective or for even a Christian or most religions too, like there's something beyond that's even better. You know, it's like, so maybe in that sense, it's not as tragic. It's more tragic for those who are are left behind. You know, there's that sort of story and narrative aspect of that. You know, it's like, it's like, well, it can only be tragic for those left behind, whether you believe in God or not. <laughs> true. That's because for true. those who have left, they yeah. either no longer exist, in which case it's not tragic for them because there's no them. Uh, or if they believe they're going to someplace better, then again, it's not tragic because there's someplace true. better. So it is just tragic for those. Just, who yeah, are left tragic behind. for those left. <clears throat> and I think it's like the, the, it could be tragic in the sense that the hope of more of that person, you know? I mean, I guess for myself, I can say I lost one of my best friends when I was 21. Oh, yeah. And that was certainly tragic yeah. because, you know, just on its face, it's like mm-hmm. someone dies at that age. You're like, this is completely unfair. He had all this life left to live. But I don't really feel differently about him passing than I do about my grandfather who passed at actually a pretty similar age to your father. You know, it's kind of like maybe too young, but at least it wasn't 20. Mm-hmm. But with both of them, it's like, I lost something. Mm. I lost not only, to use your words earlier, like new input from someone that I loved and who loved me, yeah. but also somehow a key to understanding myself. Probably that one more so with my grandfather than with my friend, but like, I don't necessarily feel like I lost more when I lost my friend, mm. even though you could say, well, it was much more of a loss because he had potentially 70 years in front of him. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you, if you quantify the loss or the tragedy by the amount of years, maybe this is back, back to my question of, yeah. is tragedy coupled with something happening which we think shouldn't have? Mm-hmm. You know, because somebody dies at 94. <clears throat> and it's kind of like, okay, that makes sense. Well, I think the tragic part with my dad would be the disease part of it, you know, this COVID thing that <clears throat> has sort of ravaged <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the globe, <laughs> you know, it's like, 
it's like, and just all the things that are built into all of that. There's like a whole, I don't know what you call it, ethos around that. You know, it's like, it's like, like, you know, it's like, you could say, you could say that if we didn't have this COVID thing, he'd still be with us today, you know? Sure. But yeah, but then it's it's hard to get into that kind of line of thing because it, then it's like, what yeah. if, what if, what if, what if? That is know? hard. And and you mm-hmm. can, well, the thing is you can do that with any death. True. Like there isn't yeah. a death, or maybe I'll say, it seems to me exceedingly rare, mm-hmm. you know, that somebody lives, let's say, to 105 and they're healthy and they just pass away in the night. Yeah. Which is so rare, it's almost not worth addressing. Mm-hmm. I, I was listening to somebody gave this analogy of like mm-hmm. the per, the perfect car. If there was a perfect car, it would never need new parts, and it would fail all at once. Mm-hmm. And bodies are kind of like that too. Yeah, it's like the perfect story is all of your organs fail at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're 105. Yeah, or 120. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. with your face on a Smucker's jar, but <clears throat> you said Smucker's jar. Yeah, remember that? <laughs> no, no. It was like on a one of the morning shows when we were growing up. One of the news shows they would always do like the segment. It was like the it was like uh, maybe Matt Lauer or somebody would come on and Katie Couric. I don't know, mm-hmm. and they would like do a little segment of all of the oldest people like turning 114 115 oh, and they uh-huh. like put their face on a smucker's jar because it was sponsored by smuckers <laughs> <clears throat> we're way off <laughs> um no but i mean aside from those exceedingly rare examples where the car or the body fails all at once mm-hmm. which we sort of could say <clears throat> i guess that's the way it's supposed to be yeah you can always say well if it weren't for x y z then this wouldn't have happened mm-hmm of almost any any death. True, true. Which I think sort of just betrays one of the great difficulties and maybe the mystery mm-hmm. of death. Yeah, I mean, the mystery of death is just blows me out of the water. Like, I mean, because then it's not even just the mystery of death. You're talking about the mystery of life. Yeah. You know, it's like, It's like we're we're so much like caught up in doing all these things that it's like, I mean, you and I talk a lot about consciousness and, you know, spirituality and what is this and where I were here. All we we get into all that kind of stuff. It's mm-hmm. like, but it's, it's kind of a uh, just kind of fucks you up a little bit. It's like like even when we're doing this podcast, you know, it's like what what is this? It's like what. Are, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. life is just so mysterious. It's like, we kind of come up with these ideas and we're, we're <clears throat> walking through them yet. We're learning things that are not us, hmm. you know, they're the collective us that we're learning, but they're also more than that. You know, yeah. I mean, we're, we've even been talking about generations and memes and moving through time. And mm-hmm. it's like, what is all that? You know? And, you know, I've heard different explanations of that from, you know, atheists to Christians to Muslims to, you know, it's like, but it's even just, it's just fascinating that we all have some sort of explanation for that, whatever that is, you know? Right. The what, the why, mm-hmm. 
the the meaning of it mm-hmm. or or the lack of meaning of it mm-hmm. which it does that doesn't make sense to me very much but because <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> it just seems like so many things are built into <clears throat> built into all the world around us it's like little little signs of meaning are just screaming at us you know this is significant right. <laughs> we're like well why like, right I'm just going to tell you, it's significant. <laughs> it's like even with my dad dying, like there's something very significant, significant about yeah, that. Like even know? the way you described mm-hmm. seeing him take his last breath mm-hmm. was that was significant. And I'm guessing you can't say why. Mm-hmm. You know, you can try. Yeah. Um, it'll probably take you a really long time to come to any satisfactory answer. Yeah. No, I, got a lot to, I got a lot to kind of, it'll take me a few, a few months. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it'll be like I, I definitely can see for me. It's like it's about a two or three month process of unpacking a lot of these things, and then then there'll be a kind of like more of a lifelong right part of that. But yeah, I was going to say. I mean, I think I think it will be a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. But because, sort of like anything, it's like the immediacy of it. Yeah, like there's something that you you get a lot out of in a very short time, but then the rest of it is meant to be unpacked over a longer. It's like even for my mom, it's like over the next three months, like she's got to she's got to take on a lot of things right. immediately. Mm-hmm. But then there'll be a lot of things she'll unpack over the next year, two years, three years, whatever years, you know. She'll be getting to know him mm-hmm. as well. Totally, yeah, with, with new know, eyes, right through his absence. Mm-hmm. Like even like you know she knew this beforehand, but just the way she said like she's like. Like, she's like, your dad took care of me, mm-hmm. you know? And I was just like, there's something the way she said it. It wasn't like how she would say it before, you know? It was like, there's the significance of how my dad took care of her. When it's probably, um, her eyes are probably opened to that. Mm. I mean, not that they weren't necessarily yeah. closed to it, but it seems to me a statement like that. It's like, if you are being taken care of, you can sort of say how you're being taken care of, mm-hmm. but you don't know. You don't know fully what that is. And a lot of things I think we have to learn through absence. Mm-hmm. When that's removed, then you're like, oh, I understand now what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, you know, when all your college friends, like Allison always thought we'd leave Austin <clears throat> and all of our college friends left. And it's like, you realize what you had. Right. You know, it's like, right. Well, it's like one of these things that's so true that it's almost cliche to say it. Totally. <laughs> What's the song? Yeah, let's say something deeper. Don't, yeah. <laughs> don't it always seem to go, don't know what you got till it's gone. Mm-hmm. It's just cliche. Totally. You know, and it's so obvious that like, I remember back to my first kiss story. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I think I've told, I've told you this story for sure, but at, I think you've said on the podcast. And the podcast, yeah. But after my first kiss, I broke up with her the next day because it freaked me out so much. And then a couple of days later, I came to my senses and I was like, I want to get back together. And she was like, you're, you know, you had your chance. And I think she said something like that to me. It's like, yeah, you, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And she kind of like rubbed it in. It's like we're in seventh grade. Yeah. You already kind of understand that uh-huh. enough to articulate it. Yeah. You know, by, from some song lyric uh-huh. that's even cliche to sing, uh-huh. but it's just so true. Yeah. You, 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 yeah. 
<laughs> so you just leave it at the it's cliche. it's tragically true <laughs> it's tragically yeah yeah but it makes me think about um you know okay if we accept that to be true then it means that there are so many things in our lives currently that we have mm-hmm. well to your point that we don't even know that we have mm-hmm. and could we be more could we open our eyes more yeah could we be more aware could we pay more attention? And and this is not to say to solve the problem of knowing what we can't know until it's gone. Totally, yeah. But to take that opportunity to say, like to orient myself to say, <clears throat> I have more than I know that I know, and that means I'm rich. Mm-hmm. And what riches do I have? Yeah. And if I could notice one or two every day, or maybe just every week or month, like would that improve the quality of my life and, and the, the extent of my gratitude and how might that change the way that I interact mm-hmm. with my life and my things and my friends and my family and my community? Yeah, I like that. Well, I think the, the, the part of that is, you know, there are moments, again, it's like, Cause I think both are true. It's like, and I think that's what you were saying too. Is like, you will not be able to know what you don't know until you've lost it, you know, until, or, yeah, or right. it's gone or whatever. But there's also a part of kind of a choice in how you live life and like, like to be more cognizant of, of how much you don't know and, and what, what value or what, you know, blessings or, or whatever it might be that you do have in your life now and to mm-hmm. take those as more precious entities, you know? Right. Um, but I think that's the, the hard thing about life too, is like, there's just so much you don't, you cannot understand until it's gone. And, and that there's something that, that we have to accept in that. But I think too, there's just a part again, coming back to our culture, um, is I think we miss out a lot on not really understanding or not, not participating in the ritual of death, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you see that in, in Mexican or in Latin American culture specifically, like there's a lot more participation in, in that idea, you know? Um, I think too, I guess more of the culture I'm talking about is more of like a modern big city cosmopolitan type of um, living that Hmm. sort of like death happens outside the city gates you know Hmm. we take everything and we throw it we we bury it out there (laughs) you know because life is happening inside the Mm. city gates yeah and I had a mosquito coming at me Um, yeah is there anything else we need to tackle on the on the death thing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> surely and surely. we will continue we will have to continue but that may be a good place to leave it for tonight yeah well to Mickey to Mickey yeah he's on the shores well, I guess he's been we're out in the maybe the ocean mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. alright All right. love, love you guys cheers Bye.